welcome to Show Me The Money, the podcast that looks at the business side of movies and TV with me, Jess Robinson, and in a different country, once again, Stephen Follows. <laughs> I'm not avoiding you, I promise. This yeah, right. Where are you this week? I'm still in New York. I haven't. I, I, this is now sounding boring. I haven't actually progressed to anywhere else, I'm afraid. I'm in the same place. Oh, it's a good place to be, though. What are you actually doing there, please? <laughs> Justify yourself. Uh, I am Just shopping. I'm t- shopping, mostly, but then also doing some teaching for NYU. So I'm teaching filmmakers to use data, lawyers not to, and then also the entrepreneurs. There's a, a, a production lab they have here where they sort of mix entrepreneurship and film stuff, and it's really cool. So I'm doing stuff with them. He's legit, guys. He, <laughs> he is an expert and he knows what he's doing. And shopping. He knows the figures and he's not afraid to use them. <laughs> um, okay, we've got three, uh, well, two brilliant stories and one piece of homework that I hope you've done <laughs> um, in this week's episode. So first of all, and I remember when this came out, it was such a shocking story. The state of New Mexico has issued the biggest possible fine to the producers of the movie Rust over the death of the cinematographer Helena Hutchins during filming last year. Yeah, that's, it's a it's a really sad story, and it's one that um, terrible. Yeah, and it's like it's one of those stories where there's no no one comes out of this well. We'll probably never know mm. exactly what's happened because there's claim and counterclaim, but it does teach us some things about the industry, um, and also about this is a case where lots of things went wrong, and so it mm. does it does remind us what happens when things you know I, what are everyone's doing to avoid things going wrong in other cases. So the basics of this story is that. In October last year, there's a, an independent movie called Rust, um, and it's got a mm-hmm. budget just over seven million, and it's um, starring Alec Baldwin, who's also one of the producers. And they were filming in Santa Fe, and they were filming in a church, and they were actually doing a rehearsal during the incident that happened. And the assistant director passed a prop prop gun, so it's supposed to be mm-hmm. a fake gun, to Alec Baldwin, and somehow it went off. It's not clear. He says he didn't fire it, and it, We'll come on to why that actually it's a more viable claim than you'd think. Um, and it killed the cinematographer, as you said, and it also injured mm. the director. So uh, this and this wasn't even this wasn't during a take. This wasn't it's just sort of what well, they were rehearsing and setting it all up and everything. So uh, and what's actually happened here. So the, the, the end result was that there's obviously criminal prosecutions because someone has died and someone else has been injured. There's also yeah. a lot of civil suits. The family um, of Helena Hutchins are also um, suing all sorts of people. And then there's all sorts of other ones, like the armorer is suing the manufacturer of the bullets that supplied and said that you put live rounds in where they should be blank rounds. Um, but mm-hmm. what's what's just happened, what this specifically is about is OSHA, which is the Occupational Health and Safety Bureau. Um, and they have this sort of health and safety within the within America. And they've been reporting and they've issued, like you said, the largest possible fine they can, which sounds strong, but it's $140,000, which is not nothing, but it's under 2% of the budget. And it's to the company, you know, no, no individual there. It's the... And, you know, all, all of these, most often when you make any film of almost any scale, even Star Wars, they will create um, a special purpose vehicle, an SPV, which is like a limited company only to make that film. That's the only reason it exists. And they do that for all sorts of reasons to do with investment and to do with like stopping. If something does go wrong, the, the holding the, the company, the actual big production company can't be chased and things like that. So what's happened here is that a company that was a special purpose vehicle to make this one movie has been fined 2% of their budget. So 
it's not so much the financial aspect of this. It's it's that you know that it's just the first reporting of this um, official um, judgment on this on this case. But it will go on for a long time, and we're learning more and more about what happened. And uh, in doing that, we can see a number of things went wrong. And and I, obviously, I I don't know who did what right or wrong, but I can only report what people have been saying and what OSHA have reported. But what went wrong, some of the things that went wrong, first of all, you shouldn't have any live rounds on set. Like, there's no reason to have live ammunition on set. You just don't yeah. need it, right? Because films no. are about faking things, right? So that's number one. Um, number two, there, there was an armorer, a woman called Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, but she was only paid to be an armorer for eight days because uh, they didn't have much money. It's actually quite a low budget, mm-hmm. seven million, especially for what they were shooting. And so she spent the rest of her time as the props assistant. And she actually wasn't, on set, I think she might have been on set, but she wasn't where the gun was when this happened, which she should have wow. been with an armor. So there's something that went wrong there. Mm-hmm. But but actually, it gets kind of like there's more and more failings as we learn more and more about this. So there were already two previous misfirings on that set before <gasps> this. Yeah, exactly. So this isn't like, I think that the, when the first reports of this came out when it actually happened and there was no information the the first 24 hours or so after it came out everyone said well why have we got guns on set anyway let's ban them uh you know you don't need to make films with guns in them things like that but as time goes on we're starting to learn that this isn't a run-of-the-mill thing there's lots of failings as i said one of them is that there'd been misfirings um and you think is you shouldn't point a gun at anybody anyway. Like the, no one mm. should be in the line of fire. That makes sense. I mean, it's harder when there's loads of people around, but that's of course it's hard. <laughs> it's supposed to be to to keep everyone safe, and you're supposed to have daily yeah. safety briefings, which apparently yeah. they did and didn't do. But the the thing that's the most damning for me, at least, is that some of the crew members had already expressed their discomfort of the safety issues. I don't know if they related to guns or not. Uh, some of the unionized crews, so in America, uh, most of the roles are unionized and under a certain budget, people will be hired who aren't, who are non-union because the union set minimums, how much people can be paid and some people can't afford to pay those salaries. Um, but mm-hmm. one of the things about union crew is they tend to be more organized and more experienced and, you know, you're getting more of a professional because you're paying more. And so some of the unionized crew had walked off and said, this isn't professional. And the first assistant wow. camera, yeah, the first assistant camera, who's like a senior person in the camera department just below the cinematographer, had already quit the day before, citing safety issues around guns. So, I mean, it's difficult. It's in, with all these facts in front of you, you, you look back and you say, well, obviously something was going to go wrong. It was sort of inevitable. Why did no one do anything? And, and that is true. I'm not, I have no counterpoint to that. But it's also mm-hmm. in the context of like films are kind of, Film shoots are kind of miracles they happen anyway because you've got all these different people, all these different specialists. When you've got very little money as well, everyone's working really hard. They're working long hours. You're trying to get something. Everyone's pushing to make the best thing they can. Everyone, I mean, on a good film set, everyone's working so hard to make it look amazing and to make it work on the time and the budget, which there's Mm -hmm. never enough of either. And so with most things, that's fine. But when you deal with things like guns and weapons and things like that, you one slip up can go far far wrong as you as we've seen here um yeah and it's not the first time this has happened in the sense that i mean not quite this but uh in uh the early 90s there was a film called the crow starring brandon lee bruce lee's son and he was shot and killed during the shooting 
because there was a confusion as to they had different ammunition for a wide shot than they had for a close-up because it was harder to fake the close-up. They, they wanted to have, it was a combination to do with whether there was powder or something in the, in the chamber. And, and, right. And so he, they, they finished the film without him. Like he only had three days left. They did rewrites and they released the film. So that's, Oh my gosh. Yeah. So the crow exists and it's quite well re- reviewed and stuff. And, yes. and it's kind of I weird. Think I've, I've seen it. Yeah, and so that's kind of weird, right? And so we don't know what's going to happen with Rust, but like, that's very morbid. I know that the Rust, some of the Rust producers have said they want to carry it on. Um, well, I was going to ask that, and I thought that it would be a very stupid question to ask if they might still <laughs> want to release it. But yeah, so they might then. Well, the Do you one, think how possible is it now in this day and age? Well, I mean, I would argue it's probably even more likely someone will do it somewhere because there are a fewer gatekeepers. I, th- I think one thing we should note, by the way, on for this podcast is there's no such thing as a stupid question because the industry is <laughs> weird, right? So, like, there is yes, nothing is. that anyone and I've learned this with the years of talking to students about stuff. I have, I actually haven't heard a stupid question in all the years I've been doing this because the industry is so weird and it does things that are so counterintuitive so often that actually, if you're thinking. Why do they do that? That's a good question because, you know, there's usually an interesting answer. Um, but yeah, so would it get released? Well, I mean, so the rights of, uh, will be owned by the production company and everyone will have signed away, the, you know, the contracts that they will have signed away their rights to be in the film. There might be clauses we don't know about where if they don't finish their work or they can with, withdraw their labor, but news, usually not. Once you sign a contract, usually the production company have the right to use your materials and your work. So probably they can from that perspective whether they i don't know how far in shooting they were so if they were quite early on in the shooting they probably didn't have enough material but they could always mm. do another shoot like i don't know who'd work on it but some someone will you know there's enough people that want to get paid and and you know yep, they've got different yep. safety people and then would somebody release it well again i think you'd struggle to get it into cinemas because i think that the cinemas are worried about being sued or about publicity but there are so many channels now that you know di- physical mm. digital all that sort of stuff even if they settled, sold it directly via DVD or a download, whatever, on their website, like the, you can you can completely see the filmmakers wanting to do, wanting to complete their vision and wanting to feel like that all of what they've raised and done before hasn't for nothing. And you can see some set of investors or rich people thinking, well, the publicity is quite high. There's a morbid factor. Yeah. And the, yeah. Crow, the Crow did very well. So, But then also all these lawsuits would be tying it up as well. So it would be a pretty brave... Well, ballsy, I guess, is a better word than brave because it makes it sound like they're mm. it's a positive thing. Person, yeah, who's, they're not heroes. <laughs> no, exactly. But someone might do that. But yeah. the thing is, the most the most positive thing that w- would come out of this terrible situation, I, one would hope, is a root and branch uh, rethinking of how we do health and safety and things. Mm. Um, but the thing is that this is kind of it doesn't happen. Considering how many films there are. And considering how many low-budget films and how many times, if you think about every movie you've seen that's involved something dangerous, from a fight yeah. to something sharp to a gun or whatever, car chase, it's amazing this doesn't happen more often. But mm. there was this tragedy that happened uh, 2014, I think, uh, on a low-budget movie called Midnight Rider. And they were filming on some train tracks on a bridge. And oh, I think they'd asked for permission, and they were told no, and they did it anyway. And they figured... I th- my, my memory is I think they figured that they could see the train coming around if there was going to be a train in enough time to get off the tracks. But they were filming with a hospital bed. It was like a dream sequence where there was someone in a hospital bed who wakes up on train tracks. 
But then a train came and, and they couldn't get off in time and, and the crew all had to scarper. And uh, Sarah Jones, who was uh, in the camera department, she was hit by something and was killed. And so OSHA fined them $74,000. But what really had an effect, well, hmm, I don't know if it had a, had enough of an effect, but what definitely happened afterwards was that because it was the camera department, it's quite a tight unit of people and they mm-hmm. started writing her name on clapperboards for weeks and weeks and weeks, and some still do, you know, as a sort of, as someone who's like, okay, here is someone who died in the line of duty and also who completely unfairly shouldn't have been. There's no reason her job should be mm. a dangerous job. No, no job should be dangerous, like, especially on no. a film set. But, and so what that meant was that even now, like the name Sarah Jones means something in the film industry. And I would, and I'd like to think that that incident caused a lot of the people to that, that did walk off or express you know discomfort and and complaints on on rust before this happened uh, you know it's it brought it front and center so maybe well probably this rust incident will you know cause more people especially around guns and things like that to think well actually i was going to shut up and just not say anything whereas now i know what could happen and it's more socially acceptable to say hey you know what no i'm not happy with this yeah um, it's such a such a tragic thing to have happened and let's hope that just something positive in some way can come out of it yeah i was talking it's, to some it's very scary yeah it is scary and i but i do think that I mean, what we've already heard is that there are lots of measures that people could have taken and we can take in future mm. so like this isn't random this is only happening after a series of things but um i have been talking to filmmakers about it to try and understand more about um the impact of it and what because filmmakers are so resilient when it comes to making films that they make films when there's no money, there's no sense, they shouldn't be doing it. They do it anyway. It's sort of part of the entrepreneurial spirit. So this isn't going to prevent them from doing a lot of these things. But what I've ended Mm. up doing is swapping so many stories about props going wrong in far less dangerous ways. And I I did want to share one that I heard yesterday, which I just thought was great. So um, this wasn't a good situation, but this wasn't, and nothing nothing tragic happened like that. So basically somebody, this was a set, and I'm going to not tell you some of the like names and the set and stuff, because I I don't want to get the person in trouble, but this was only a couple of years ago. And this this Mm. included a a very well-known actor, although I don't think they were at fault. And um, it turns out that they're having a lot of prop money. That happens a lot where, you know, you want to have money on set, but if you're supposed to, in the movie, you're throwing $100,000 around, you can't throw a real $100,000. But at the same time, if you can't, like, just fake it, because, like, copying money is illegal. So there are companies that specialize in faking money that is looks good enough on screen, but also... And, and they have whole procedures about protecting it and about burning it. And you know what I mean? Like you can imagine it's not a gun thing. But anyway, somebody on the set, some crew member was slowly switching petty cash money for prop money and was successfully had this ruse where they were able, I don't know how, how, how long they managed to do it for, but they were swapping it. And the director, because it was a low budget film, the director at one point after one of the big parts of the shoot went and deposited a load of petty cash money in the bank and got arrested. <laughs> because they thought he was laundering money and he well he was I guess he doesn't realize it but it was so convincing that they never found out who did it but like the director of the, the shoot had to uh, you know had some like a negative effect because the director's in jail for money laundering and really? had no idea what's going on I mean like obviously was only like in that moment got taken to jail and I don't they wasn't prosecuted he's and, not like, still you know, there no, no, no. I, my understanding is no. Like, but the, it's just one of those things where you can just see someone on set holding one of these 
prop money and looking at petty cash, looking back at the prop money, back at the petty cash and thinking, ah, <laughs> huh, you know, and uh, it must have looked like the, the world's worst crime, walking into a bank going, here is loads of real money and the cashier being, you know, the teller being, um, can you just stay here for a moment? I'm just going to press a button. <laughs> but yeah, but wow. in, in an industry where all we're doing is faking things and we're trying to do mm. it safely, like, it's interesting to think about, like... I mean, what's real and what's not and how you fake things. and But, you know, the consequences of going wrong away from weapons is, is quite minor, even being in jail, or, you know, all that kerfuffle. Um, mm. So, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully it will, you know, create some change. On we'll my first day ever of doing a professional TV show, I was doing a Desperate Housewives sketch and I had to uh, roller skate, fall on a crash mat... Mm-hmm. Leap up and then fire a gun. Oh my god! And yeah, it was really stupid. <laughs> but it was also really like I was so apart from being so nervous that the sound man thought that there was something wrong with the microphone because my heart was beating so loudly it was coming over. Um, I had to. They they didn't care whether I could you know roller skate or do a pratfall or anything like that. But the they were very very serious about the gun and I had to th- um, fire it into an empty room god I hope it was empty just into a mattress that was against the wall but it had to look as though I was you know from from the shot it looked as though yeah. I was um, firing some uh, firing someone shooting someone um, but yeah god how's I would have a, no idea I would not have a clue if there had been real ammunition in there if there had been somebody behind the door in that room or you know well exactly you really have to put your trust into the safety people around you and I had a big lecture about it and I mean no wonder my heart was beating so loudly but it was it was um it felt very scary, actually. Well, it is. And There's now a power thinking there. back, it's, yeah. Yeah. But I, but I think the thing is, it's not, as you said, it's not your job to, to know whether it's safe or not. That's not reasonable at all, especially if you don't know guns. What's What yeah. happens is that it gets checked by the armourer and also yeah. then uh, handed over. And when it's handed over, they shout cold gun or hot gun or yeah. whatever to indicate yeah. what's in it. And so like that, and actually they shouted cold gun when they gave it to Alec Baldwin. So he had every reasonable, you know, expectation of that course. this was... But I think is I've got a friend who's a stuntman and he um, he is hired always to be like he's in a lot of James Bond films where he's blown up. Whenever I see him, whenever I see him, like there's a there's an opening sequence of something and he's walking along with a family in a movie. I'm like, oh, stuff's about to go down because I know that whenever he's, he's about to die. But he has this sort of like he looks like what Hollywood thinks a suspicious person looks like. So it's very hard to travel with him because he everything he owns gets taken apart in airports. And he's often be like, I'll see you in the lounge. Just go through, go through. But um, he has a big white van full of prop stuff like gun and he's he's a he's a licensed armorer and all this stuff and and takes it very seriously and so you keep a gun in a proper flight case you wrap it in highly colored tape and so that if anyone mm-hmm. could see if it's been broken or whatever but i was uh, with him once when i was in the van this years years and years ago and he was stopped by the police and i don't quite know why it was routine but the thing is that he as the police were stopping me he said to me he looked at me i've never seen him look so serious he said do not move don't say anything just stay perfectly still and i was like huh this is weird. Like, I'm not used to this. What am I fallen into? What is this? And we were, I think we were traveling between um, uh, two different sets we were filming in. And um, 
the policeman comes up and he and without like waiting for the policeman to send, he goes, "Hey, this is my name. My my card is over here." But he didn't move. He said, "My license card is over here." I'm a trained armorer in the van is, and he listed all the things. And it was a really tense situation because if they'd opened this dodgy white van, they would have seen this plethora of like oh weapons and like everything, <laughs> but, but things that are meant to look horrific. So for example, when you see someone hit by like a, a brick in a movie, it's just a sponge and you put fake blood in it so that it looks like yeah. the blood's coming from the person. But actually when you pick it up, it's all safe and it's only kind of cute, like, you know, but when you see it in a van, <laughs> bloodied bricks, like safely put away, <laughs> it looks like he's going to go. And honestly, he's learned to not move a single muscle because that 10 minutes before the policeman understands that this is all fake and he's like, is incredibly yeah. hairy and he's just yeah. got to l- learn to live like that like his job is to look suspicious and hold suspicious things and so can we get him on the podcast please, <laughs> at some point i'm really excited let's to do talk it to him yeah, yeah yeah i'll reach out to him definitely with That'll some sort fun. of a, a financial um a financial slant but it would just be absolutely fascinating to, to chat to him That'd be yeah definitely cool. well the interesting thing about stuntman well we can talk to him about danger money because the more they're paid yeah! the more dangerous that is implied so yeah all right I'll, I'll reach out to him see if we can do that cool um okay next story netflix my best friend lost subscribers for the first time in 10 years at the start of this year why stephen well, there's a thousand reasons why, <laughs> and we, you know, we can go through the fact that they they're growing and they can't continue growing forever. Um, basic mm-hmm. entropy. There's increased competition, the economy, the war in Ukraine, slow rollout of broadband in various places, sharing of passwords, which. <clears throat> We've discussed before. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We'll come back onto that in a minute. Um, but yeah, there's lots of things. And I think what's interesting about this, when it comes down to like their share price fell by like a 30% on, on news. But the thing is that the share price is just... So this, when the share price drops, all it is is just they thought the, the, the stockholders thought the situation was going to be A and it turns out it's B and it's worse. So actually the big news here is that they thought they would be adding subscribers. So they'd forecast that in the first quarter of this year, they would be adding about two and a half million and they actually lost mm. 200,000. So, I mean, in the end... That's grand- not many though, is it 200,000? It's really not. Losing 200,000 subscribers is not a lot. They have 221 million. So it's a very right. small amount. But, and also... So they- I have a theory... Yeah, yeah, go for it. What's your theory? Is it 200,000 people that signed up during the pandemic and now they've gone back to work? It's not, we don't know who these people are. You know, you, you, you know this, right? It's not like we, okay, so let's call this I know, I know. Bob Jones from across the road. (laughs) Well, well, funnily enough, actually, we do know where some of the loss was in the sense that they lost 700,000 subscribers when they pulled out of Russia. So, well, Russia was saying to them, you have to, um, screen these there was like 20 or 30 channels that were propaganda and stuff and netflix said mm-hmm. no around the same sort of time i can't remember the exact chronology but about the war in ukraine so i don't know how much mm-hmm. was down to the propaganda or how much was down to the like um blockade or, you know an economic blockade but anyway so they lost yeah. so if they hadn't lost them they'd still be up by half a million right. uh, although that would still be under the two and a half million that they thought but i think the big thing is that the story here is where is their next like business growth going to come from because they've been able to grow just by going into new markets and reaching new people. And, and they're a mm-hmm. new type of product over the last 10 years or so. So actually, their whole model has been growth. And initially, it was more of a utility model where they're like, we have lots of content. Whereas now, there's less space for growth. And they're more hit driven. And there's more 
rivals from other from other um, you know Disney Plus and whoever. So actually, they are changing what they are and where their growth would come from, which is making these shareholders think well. I quite liked it when they were a utility, when you just sort of had to have a Netflix account. Whereas yeah. now when people are thinking, I didn't like Stranger Things season 26 or whatever, I'm going to cancel. That's a lot more fickle. Um, hmm. So where they think they're going to, where they said they think they're going to get more growth from. So this is their sort of business model, uh, business plan going forward, is one, more subscriptions from quality content, which is just like making good shows, which is great. And if they succeed, then that's great. But it's also quite, mm-hmm. that's like saying we're going to, make great movies and everyone's trying to do that and not many people are succeeding um uh, then they are also going to uh, introduce some sort of ad supported tier which they didn't ah. do before so but it'll be basically you can get a discount if you have ads so it kind of i already don't ha- want the discount i don't <laughs> want the ads unless i can skip forward like you can on the bbc you can just skip forward I'm pretty sure they're going to think about that and prevent you from doing that. I don't think there's going to be an easy way that you can just skip them. They may have thought that's going to be like what having to catch up on Bake Off. This is a nightmare. <laughs> but you might see adverts for baking products and cakes and things. I don't want to do the baking. I just want to watch the people <laughs> fail <laughs> <laughs> and support each other. And but, support each other. Yes. Yeah. So in in America, so HBO Max, which isn't actually in the UK yet because of the Sky deal with HBO content, but that's quite big in America and it's rolling out the rest of the year. Mm. So they have five dollars off if the ad supported version, although it's only in HD, not 4K. So it's it's basically if you literally have less money, here 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 is a, an inferior product with ads, but you still get access to the same content. Um, okay. And Disney are doing the same thing where they're offering a $5 a month tier that has ads uh, and Hulu does it, which Hulu is actually owned by Disney. So it's interesting. Disney have already been sort of practicing with this a little bit through their Hulu product. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So they so that, that's probably going to come. Um, right. They're also trying, they're still expanding into new markets like in the Asia Pacific. I mean, China, Netflix is not in China yet. But um, then again, they're going to have the same problems, if not more, they had with Russia, which is, you know, to do with affecting content censorship. And so that might be tricky yeah. for them, although it's a huge market if they can crack it. Um, yeah. They're doing gaming. So already you can get access to about 50 games and stuff. They bought some uh, gaming companies. So we'll see. But the big thing, I think, which is, I mean, I, I hate to break this to you. This is this is going to be quite grave news for you, I'm afraid. They are, they are going to crack down on oh. password sharing. Um, so... Oh. I know. And they mentioned you in the press release as well, which was bizarre. No, but, uh, they didn't. <laughs> no, all, look, all publicity is good publicity. It'll help your Edinburgh show. It's fine. Um, no, but the, apparently... <laughs> which is called Legacy, and you can see at the Pleasance at 9.20 in Edinburgh this year. Thank you so much. Book your tickets now. <laughs> see? It all, all works, right? But yeah, like, <laughs> there was a survey last year, and 53% of Americans admitted to sharing their login with someone outside their main household, which you're not supposed to do. And Netflix say... So they've got about 22 million paying accounts and they think that that's being shared with 100 million households so they think that it so yeah 222 million accounts and they think there's an additional 100 million so if they could get everyone to pay who should pay then Mm. they would massively increase an extra 50 percent of accounts if if everyone translated which i'm sure they wouldn't but so they've been trying a few things um they've tried the this is a carrot and stick so the stick is they've, they've done a crackdown in um Chile and Peru and Costa Rica, like they picked up some smaller markets and said, all right, you can pay a small free fee for having extra people outside your household. In that, in that case, it was like $3. So $3 a month extra and you can share it. 
Um, and then the other thing is the carrot, which is that one of the main reasons that you, if you've been sharing your password with someone for a while, well, it was not so much legal, but while it was easy, you might be thinking, yeah. okay, well, all right, fine. It's time for them to buy, you know, that ex-partner of mine is time for them to buy their own account. <laughs> yeah, I should say but, so. Yeah. The big problem there is that all of their preferences and all of their favorite movies and where they are in their TV series and stuff is all stored in their account. And if you delete it and they set up a new account, they have to become a whole new person. And I don't want to make my choices again. Uh, so they're yeah. offering data transfer between separate accounts, which I think is very clever because it is definitely a barrier Um when you have spent time watching stuff and it's Tim tailored to you, because obviously if you pick on the wrong account, when you're like, who is watching this? And you suddenly, it's all like, for me, if it's, if I pick the wrong one, it goes all pink. And I'm like, ah, no, wrong one, wrong one, wrong one. Um, but that, that is good. That's like, you haven't done the right thing, but let us help you do the right thing now. Let's make it better. Let's be restorative. Let's exactly. Make it better. We don't but it mind. makes sense. Yeah. Um, I've got a friend who went on a, a holiday a few years ago, and he keeps talking about this every time I see him. He went away with his family to somewhere in Italy in a villa, and he said the best thing, it was like the summer in Italy, but he said the best thing about the whole trip was that the previous people who'd rented the Airbnb had left their Netflix login, they'd logged in, <laughs> and so he got to have a holiday from his own preferences. And he said that, <laughs> he said that they had created, they'd watched such interesting stuff that he, and he, he could obviously have found those shows. It's the same access he's got. But after a while, your choices are being reinforced. And maybe you're okay with them, but it's always yeah. nice to have a break. So he wanted to have a randomized, uh, there is a randomized button on, on Netflix, but he wanted to have yes. a, like a, a holiday swap button where you swap your account with somebody else for like a week or whatever and you live like them or whatever I don't know like but he he still describes it as the best thing about this trip to to um Italy was that he got to be what someone else's and presumably ruin their choices like I don't know because like whoever that person was like it's weird my choices are getting worse are my recommendations yeah I think else? if if you and I did that you would be <laughs> you'd get a real bum deal <laughs> Oh, God, that would be I'd so... I'd love to know how much of even one episode you could get through of Selling Sunset. <laughs> I, I would nope out of there so quickly. You know, the thing is, I genuinely like to think of myself as someone who's open or try new things. And the times I have tried new shows that I don't want to watch, it is so quick to be like, nope, nope, not watching this. I'm just I'm absolutely, you know, I'm not watching this. Like, I, And it's it's so hard. I felt like I'm sort of tying myself down, especially when you're, you know, you're with someone who wants to like watch something else. And you're like, no, I'm going to be a nice person. I'm going to... You know, expand my mind to it, and just nope, nope, can't do it, won't do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so I didn't manage to watch this this um, last week, as you set me the challenge of going to the cinema and seeing Sonic Two. Sadly, um, my stepson opted for Turning Red on Disney Plus, which is brilliant. We really liked it. But was that your um, homework? Yeah, you said I should go and see. Uh, <laughs> I should go and see yeah, Sonic too. So, but you didn't. But anyway, what, what I'm saying is, you can't. You can't say oh. that the, the red film was a good alternative. You didn't. I just want to make it clear. You, you didn't do. Yeah, that it homework. wasn't even. Okay. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry. Just checking. I'm just checking. I'm Actually, sorry. I'm sorry, but not sorry. <laughs> That's okay. It's been a busy week. Um, but I believe you have done your homework because I think you probably are the class SWAT. Um, so last week we we're talking about Sonic Two. And it being the most successful movie sequel of any gaming movie, right? Yes. And I asked you, which movie sequels have been, just general movie sequels, have been the most successful? And you've gone away and looked at the numbers 
And what are the results? No pressure, no pressure. Well, to be fair, this is this is fun homework for me. And and so, yeah, I, I do understand that. I think the thing is that the more I looked into it, so I, I looked into sequels, um, I published a few articles about them a few years ago, and things have changed mm-hmm. since then a little bit. So I went back and had a look again. And the more I looked into it, the more, actually, it's kind of more nebulous than I originally thought, as in, you know, let me let me ask you a, a, a stupid question. But what is a sequel? Yes, <laughs> Genuinely, what is what is a sequel? A sequel is a, in my head, a follow-up story or a what happens next or a, um, yeah, a follow-up story or a what happens next of a, of a story we've already learnt okay. Okay. and found out about. Yep, that's rather a, than part of a diff, part of a world. So it's not Fantastic Beasts and Harry Potter. I wouldn't say that was a sequel. I'd say that was part of the franchise and set in the same world type thing. Interesting. Yeah, see that you, you hit on exactly the bit that's kind of complicated now because so many films are made as part of a series or they have an intended arc to them or they're part of a universe or they're a, they're a spin-off in some way that actually it's quite mm. hard to sort of sequel isn't a binary thing. It's obviously Sonic the Hedgehog 2. We can all agree the two that's the most plain reasoning reading of it being a sequel. But um, actually, it's quite odd. So I, I pulled up the highest grossing sequels. And, and I thought this would be a good place for me to start. But like, OK, let me just look mm. at the highest grossing sequels. And then I disagree with the first five. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Just personally. This is just my personal taste. So the highest grossing sequel, uh, according to Box Office Mojo and, and um, the numbers and Wikipedia and that is uh, Avengers Endgame. Which right. is part of a universe, but also it is the second one of a two-parter, but it's a two-parter. And for me, sequel has this expectation that they, to some degree, weren't expecting it or waiting to see. Like if you make something as a second part, like you're just cutting it in yeah. two, that doesn't sound like a sequel to me as a consumer. So mm, I don't know. That's you- interesting, isn't it? Yeah. A part two. A part two. Is a part two a sequel? We'd like to know what yeah, you I mean, think. Godfather. Show me the money, pod at gmail.com. <laughs> yes. What Tell do you, us what think, you think, guys? And just because they called it part two, like Godfather part two is clearly a sequel in the sense it's also a prequel, which makes it confusing because it's two movies, but it was clearly made <laughs> after The Godfather. I was using that as an easy example. And I've realized that doesn't even work. And this was my experience. The more I looked into it, the more it was sand through my fingers. Okay, so the second oh. highest grossing, Star Wars The Force Awakens, which is, uh, I mean, it's a whole new trilogy, which, and a trilogy is not, is the second in a trilogy really a sequel? Because now we're extending this idea of, of a, pre- a pre-existent part. Um, mm-hmm. Then you've got Avengers Infinity War, which is the, the one before Endgame. Uh, the number four was Jurassic World, which is the new one in a reboot. But it's not really yeah. a reboot because it happens in the same universe. But before that, we had Jurassic World 2, which obviously was a sequel. and uh, So Jurassic Park 2 and then Jurassic Park 3. And then there was a big gap. Mm-hmm. And then, then you've got Fast and the Furious 7. So is 7 a sequel? Or does sequel have to have a two in it? Um, what is the definition of sequel now? I'm, I'm wondering. Can it? I make can, it can, is it only a second? Is it only the second thing? I mean, I don't know. Like this is, or is so it the, an ongoing thing? Wow! Just, now my just brain the, is fried. I know. This, this has been my week. So to give you a bit of catharsis, number six is Frozen Two, right? So we can all Fine. agree Frozen Two sequel, right? Uh, after that, you've got Age of. Age of Ultron, Harry Potter, Deathly Hallows Part 2, which again, two-parter because it was, I think, yeah, one book that, they cut. I think we can't allow it. Yeah, so like it takes a long time before you get to like The Incredibles 2 or whatever. So actually, I mean, we won't end it here, but like that's to start by saying that a sequel is 
kind of a complicated thing. Um, mm. And so then I found other examples of weird sequels. So so Jumanji was a film from the 90s with Robin Williams. And then there is that's based on a book. And there is a, a sort of sequel, same sort of universe book called Zathura, A Space Adventure, which was made yep. a film, in a film. Have you seen it? I've I seen them all. I only saw the trailer of it. I haven't seen <laughs> Zathura. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. Um, and that is the same basic idea, right? So it's a it's a board game that get, pulls kids in, and it's from the same mm-hmm. author, and it's the same universe. But I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't know about. My, I knew the movie existed, but I didn't know what it was. I had to watch the trailer for this, and so I was like, "Oh wow!" I had no idea. It wasn't. And crucially, they didn't market it as a sequel. So when Jumanji: Welcome to the Jungle came out with The Rock, uh, two thousand seventeen, like that's mm-hmm. technically the third in the series, but the second one doesn't look anything like the first or third one. So that's kind of weird, right? Yeah, that's tricksy, isn't it? Yeah. So, and the thing is, when we look at like whether films, whether sequels make more money than the originals, it's kind of complicated because by definition, sequels do tend to make more money than most movies. But number one, they don't tend to make necessarily more money than their original film. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, and it depends how you do your averages. But the thing is, the first film is almost always an outlier success. Otherwise, why are you making a sequel? So they tend to be like already hugely popular in some way they tend uh-huh. it's not often sleeper hits but also the sequel have much more marketing behind it which is heavily correlated with box office performance and so you kind of expect them to do well um what you definitely find is that sequels uh more sequels like number three number four number five whatever they tend to make less and less money over time but the mm. actual sequel tends to do quite well um but not always like um i found some really terrible sequels uh well, under, <laughs> underperforming ones like Blair Witch 2 uh so the original Blair Witch made about 250 million uh dollars worldwide and Blair Witch 2 made about 50 million and so mm. that went very well or Independence Day 2 Resurgence which was made sort of 20 years later which is awful uh Speed 2 <laughs> Cruise Control which is I actually rewatched recently and I don't know why um that is not a good film um it's about that one's about controlling Tom Cruise right <laughs> uh, that would have been a that would have been a more interesting film. I think that's the Scientology film that Louis Theroux made. Um, <laughs> I'm ready for that one. <laughs> yeah, but then so then I was like, okay, well, let me try and find something interesting. Let me find something. Uh, I wasn't thinking wholesome, but I was thinking, let's just find. Oh, what's an interesting fact? Okay, what were the first sequels? So I was like, okay, let me go back and find the first sequels. And the first two sets of films that I think vie for the headline of, of sequels are horribly racist films, <laughs> like just really? appalling. So yeah, so there was a film in two thousand six, sorry, nineteen sixteen called Fall, uh, uh, sorry, nineteen fifteen called Birth of a Nation, um, uh, D.W. Uh, Griffith, and then they made a sequel called Fall of a Nation the next year, but it has none of the same characters, none of the same world, so it's like, is that a sequel? So then maybe the next film to like be like, okay, this is a proper proper sequel was mm. there was a nineteen twenty one film called The Shake, and then in nineteen twenty six there was Son of the Shake, which is clearly a sequel, but both yeah. of those films massively like character like you know like the worst you can imagine of, of Hollywood yeah, racism yeah and so I was like well that's not kind of cool that's not interesting so then I was like all right fine 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 let me find some really weird sequels let me find something that was really bizarre <laughs> and I found a couple and I, I I've seen one and not the other so American Psycho 2 is really interesting yeah. because it was made as a completely different film it was made as the called it was the girl who wouldn't die and it's got Mia Kulis in it and um, mm. it was re-edited after it was shot to be American sequel psycho, uh, the American Psycho sequel. But the only connection to the original is a flashback featuring um, the character's death, and it's just not a sequel. It just called it a sequel, 
and thought that would work. And even like Mia Coolis, yeah. who's in the film, was like, what? <laughs> That's not what I made. What are you talking about? Um, but the weirdest one, which I, I remember watching as a kid and, I, and I'd forgotten existed. But did you ever see Return to Oz? Yeah. It's terrifying and boring, but also cool. Yeah, and really trippy and dark. Like, and <laughs> and it was funny because I was looking to it. I was like, oh, my God, I was getting, like, flashbacks. I watched the, some of the trailers and stuff. And I was like, oh, my God, this yeah. is really horrific. And I remember being disturbed as a kid by it. And I'm now being disturbed by it later. Um, but the reason it made my, me as an adult happy, and, and it's something interesting that we've got a callback from an earlier pod, which was that um, the reason it was made was obviously partly to make money. But the reason it was made when it was made was that Disney had the rights to make sequels, but the copyright was going to expire. And so they had to make it within a certain period of time so that they could renew their copyright and keep the, the IP alive. So mm. it was made for like legal reasons, I guess. I mean, obviously they then went to make it fully and they wanted to make it as well. But when they made it, it was because the copyrights would expire, which is something we talked about on a previous episode. So yeah. I thought it was interesting. But looking at the plot, it's so first of all, it's, st- it's supposed to be a sequel, but the yeah. character in it, Dorothy, is younger than she is in the first film, and it's not mentioned. Oh, is she? So, like, the woman, the girl that plays it is clearly a girl, not Judy Garland, right? As in, Judy Garland's clearly older by, like, a long shot, like, 10 years, I don't know. And then Never she starts the film with, like, oh, I remember Oz. And everyone's like, don't talk about Oz. And she's like, no, I remember Oz. And then so they go, all right, we'll give you electric shock therapy. And oh, so horrible. They, it's horrible. Yeah. And then it gets weirder. You've got like one character who keeps a collection of women's heads that she switches out for her own. And like, it's just like really, really <laughs> disturbing. And so that was where I ended my journey on sequels because you took me down a dark rabbit hole, which I discovered very little, didn't discovered I didn't know what a sequel was, and then got my childhood nightmares back. So thank you. <laughs> the wheelies are so scary, aren't they? The one the guys that go around on the roller skates that were the flying monkeys. I mean, all of it. Because also the Tin Man is now like very squished and, and looks kind of creepy. Oh yeah, and he's she's, horrible. She's clearly young at the talking chicken is weird. Like yes, all of although it. I There's... do like, I would like to get a lunchbox off a tree. That's fun. Um, sure. I mean, I think I'm not saying it has nothing, but it, it's just like, and also because the animation, because it was sort of like 80s, it has a weird kind of like, it was impressive for its time. The, the technology is really impressive, but it's still got that kind of creepiness to it that I just, <laughs> I'm not so sure what's creepy. real, what's not uncanny valley. <laughs> and just like, it just also it's supposed to be a kid's film. And it's just. Oh, it's, it's got an Yeah, it is really scary. Although I would love to take my head off and exchange it for a different one <laughs> with different coloured hair. Just at the end of the day, wouldn't you like to change your head sometimes? I think you may be speaking as an impressionist. I think it would make your job a lot easier if you could take out, you know, Helen Mirren and pop her on. <laughs> I'd like to take out Katie Hopkins permanently, please. <laughs> <laughs> She's not using her head. It's fine. You can have it. No, She's not true, using true. it. <laughs> Oh, well, that is fascinating. And thank you for giving me an insight into your fears. Um, <laughs> thank you for sending me Halloween, down that route. I know what to dress up as. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so, that's, that's been such an interesting, interesting um, episode. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it too. Thank you so much for listening. And if you like Show Me The Money, and if you like us, which I'm sure you do Um, please give us a follow in your podcast app leave us a review five stars please and um, if you have a question that you would like answered on the show email us at showmethemoneypod 
at gmail.com and let's hope by asking a question we can uncover some more of Stephen's fears. Please, please Thank don't do you that. And please, please don't do that. Bye bye. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>